Muy buenos días, ¿me escuchan? Es un gran placer al estar con ustedes esta mañana, un día nuevo. <coughs> Open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. I kind of feel like uh, here at the end of the week, maybe we're all getting kind of tired after sleeping in tents and uh, at least not sleeping in your own bed. So um, we need to persevere to the end. Persevere. <clears throat> Try not to fall asleep on me. Nehemiah chapter 1. So urgency in these last days. Urgency in these last days. 60 minutes to go. What will we do with these last few hours of human history? Hopefully we feel the sense of urgency and man, it's been super encouraging to me um, to be here with all of you and just individual conversations and hearing Scott's messages. Uh, I've even encouraged myself listening to myself. But uh, um, hopefully here with these uh, just last few messages, the Lord would really encourage and, and inspire us to go forward in these, in these uh, last days. So, Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, yeah, I'll read chapter 1, all of chapter 1 to begin here. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, that corresponds to our December. In the twelfth year... As I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had escaped the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be opened to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of heaven. From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants." who delight to, hear your, to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king 
Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word and how it is so relevant to us today in the year 2022. It has been relevant from the moment that You inspired Your holy prophets and apostles to pen these words. Nothing has ever been written that's been more relevant. And oh God, we look at this passage and even kind of a quick glance at the book of Nehemiah. And it is so relevant to us today. It is so relevant to the brethren movement. It is so relevant to any evangelical movement today here on planet earth. So Lord, I pray that you would use these words of Holy Scripture to speak to us and to convict us this morning. Oh Lord, I pray that you would raise up an army of workers that would go forward with sword and trowel, working with one hand and defending with the other. Oh God, we pray that you would do great things in our generation. Can almost feel it. Can almost feel the revival that is beginning. Oh Lord, what an honor to live in this generation. Possibly the greatest time in all of history to live right here at the edge of eternity, right before the rapture, right before the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a joy. What an honor. What excitement. Oh Lord, I pray that you would just fill our bones with a sense of urgency. These are the days of Ezekiel. These are the days of, of Nehemiah. Lord, help us to go forward rebuilding what is broken down. Lord, I pray that you would help me to say the things that you want me to say this morning. Pray that you would be honored, that Christ's name would be lifted on high. Lord, we want our, our eyes to be directed upward, as Scott was just talking about. In many ways, Lord, we, we just feel the, the mountains on one side, the mountains on the other, the enemy coming from behind, the deep red sea in front of us. It's like there's nowhere to go, and we just we look to you. We need a miracle. We need you to do something. We, we cannot do it. And Lord, we live at a time in history where it seems, seems we're living in a generation that maybe is the first generation since Pentecost that we haven't seen some kind of a real move and a real revival somewhere on planet Earth. I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm missing out and I, I don't know about certain things. I'm sure you're doing great things in dirt, different pockets of the world, but um, Lord, we just we long to see we long to see you do great things in our generation and in, in our midst. And Lord, we recognize we've got to get out of the cave. We've just got to get out of that dark cave. Feels like we're just threshing wheat, but without the wind, and, and just kind of throwing it up in the air, and it all comes down, and, and just we're kind of going through the motions of, of kind of a mundane Christian life and not really getting anywhere, not really accomplishing anything. Oh Lord, we need you. You've got to do something. We cannot do anything in our own strength and power. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would begin to move. So Lord, we put um, these last few minutes of uh, these meetings today into your hands, asking that you would do something great. In Jesus' name, amen. In, um, in Peru, 
we spent a couple of years building a, a Bible Institute and uh, bought some property, five city lots, and just slowly over a couple of years, as the Lord provided, built and built and built. And uh, at one point, we got to, uh, to the point where we needed to build a, or dig a septic tank. And so uh, th- this thing was, this was the awesomest pit ever. Um, I, I mean, I, I, think it was, I think it was 12 feet across. And, and, um, and it was about 21 feet deep until we, until we hit like rock and sand. And so we just kept digging and digging. It was dangerous. You got down there and it was, it was like 20 de- degrees hotter down there. It's already hot in the jungle. But you, we lowered the guy in a bucket down there. And we had like this, this pulley thing and he'd go down there and, and uh, he would dig and he'd put, fill up the bucket. We pulled the bucket up. Anyway, this brother, Brother Eber, he's a great brother. Oh, I love this guy. And uh, he's going on for the Lord. The Lord's really using him. But he would come every morning. He'd knock at the door like six in the morning. And uh, I would open it up and he would have a shovel over one shoulder and a pick over the other shoulder. And he would kind of stand back. And as soon as I opened the door and he'd go, Manus a la obra. Manus a la obra. Hands to the work. Hands to the work. And he'd just like run in there, he'd jump down, we'd roll him down in the bucket, and he's just, dirt is flying everywhere. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. But uh, that is my main point this morning. And you actually see it a little bit later. We'll get there in chapter two, because it's going to be a really long message. We're going to go the whole book of Nehemiah. No, we're not. But uh, where the Jews, they get to this point, they look at Nehemiah, they see everything that the Lord has provided, and they just look at Nehemiah and they're like, hands to the work. Hands to the work. Hands to the work. That's the message of Nehemiah right here. So look at this. Going back to the first couple of words and getting the context of this book. Um, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came for with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So th- this is the context. Um, many of you are very familiar with the story. Israel is taken into captivity by Assyria in, in about 722, 722 years before Christ. And, and then several years, 130, 135 years later, in 586, uh, uh, Judah is taken into captivity uh, by the Babylonians. And 70 years later, 70 years later, Zerubbabel goes back to Jerusalem, the the Holy Land. He goes back with 50,000 Jews to rebuild the temple. So there they're rebuilding. And about 11 years later is when Nehemiah happens. When Nehemiah, we're going to see, gets this call to to go and do something. To go and and be involved in the work. And we're going to see he goes back to rebuild the wall. They've already started on, on, on the temple, and now he goes back and he gets some people, but he goes back and inspires mostly those that are already there. Let's rebuild the wall. But, but get this, so he's in the citadel in Susa, and his brother, one of his brothers comes, and there's others from Judah, and they come to visit, and, and Nehemiah asks, so what's the situation in Jerusalem? I mean, we, we heard that 50,000 went back and they're, they're building the temple. Well, what's the situation? How are, how are things going? And the response here, those who have escaped and survived the exile concerning Jerusalem 
And then it, it says that um, in, in verse 3, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. What a picture. What a picture of our present condition. So you can look at this two ways. Let's just start just looking at our world. Look at the world in which we live today. I, I mean, the, the darkness and the death and the disconnection and, and just, once again, I, I mentioned it the other day, pornography. It's in, just destroying an entire generation. It's destroying a lot of lives right here. Pornography. And you, you see the great trouble and the shame and the brokenness. It's like your life has been destroyed with fire. And, and, and then you look at our nation. Abortion. The blood of millions of babies runs like a river across this land, condemning this land. Homosexuality. Unbelievable. I mean, if God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. You look, you look at our nation and, and all of the things, and I know this is recorded and I'm in California saying this and people might be walking around, but <clears throat> preach it. Martyrdom is coming. Oh, I kind of want to be one. I just don't want it to hurt. <laughs> but you look at our world and I mean, broken families and, and divorce, even within the church and alcoholism and, and gangs and sex trafficking and just the brokenness and the darkness in our world. And then you just narrow it down. Yeah, our nation, then narrow it down to a evangelical church. The evangelical church in, in the United States of America is Praise the Lord, there are bright spots. Oh, praise the Lord. And, and there are men and women of God that are going for it and bright churches that are, are really going forward, waving the flag of Zion across the land. But a lot of evangelical Christianity is just a big joke today. It's just a, a big joke. It's more about health and wealth and more about your prosperity rather than the glory of God. And we've totally left out the gospel. It's just amazing when you go into the streets and you share the gospel with people. And people tell me all the time, oh, yeah, I used to go to church. And yeah, I, I, I know that. And you start getting to talking with them and they have no idea what the gospel is. And afterwards, you get done talking with them. And they're like, whoa, like nobody ever told me this stuff before. You go to church like you grew up your whole life in, in a brother in assembly? Come on. This, this right here, this is exactly our situation. The remnant there in the province of the United States of America that has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem have broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. You, you see right here, um, I, I think about in past generations, and I've had the privilege of meeting, and many of you have also, meeting kind of that older generation, let's just say assembly missionaries, that went into different parts of the world. And the Lord did great things with these humble men and women, with Bert Elliott and Jim Elliott, who were garbage men. And then the Lord used them greatly. And man, there's all kinds of names and all kinds of people that all of you are thinking about right now. And the Lord used them greatly in this past generation. And when we went to Peru, Amy and I went to Peru, Javen and Cullen were two little guys at the time, and the rest of our kids weren't born yet, but we went, and we kind of followed 
behind Burton Colleen Elliott, the work that they had established 50 years before. Uh, because of terrorism, they had to go to the coast, and then we went to the mountains and the jungle and followed around kind of and saw what the Elliots have left behind. But sadly, the terrorism had come in. A, a lot of the Christians were martyred and, and a lot fled for their lives. And, and really, going into the jungle especially, the work had been abandoned completely. And it was like going from village to village. There was this old Sala Evangelica building that was there, kind of falling over. No believers in the village. It was kind of like this, this distant memory of, yeah, there used to be these people that preached the Bible, but nobody knew anything. And it was this kind of a situation. The walls of that work in the past have been just broken down and burned with fire. And I saw this as we went the first time in visiting these villages. And you see this everywhere you go. But, but And I, I know that you have seen this, and, and I've seen this with my own eyes, and I just, I'm thinking specifically about that work in the jungle, that just everything kind of fell apart after all these years, and, and just realizing somebody needs to do something. And you start to pray, oh Lord, please send somebody. Somebody needs to put hands to the work. Hands to the work. Hands to the work. And you see here the reaction of Nehemiah when he hears this. In verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, and the rest of the chapter is a prayer. A classic, awesome prayer. You can, oh, so many things to learn about prayer right there in the next couple of verses. But look at this. I just want to point out, look at his distress. He hears about the condition, let's just say, of the Lord's work. Yes, the Lord's city, but, and applying it to our situation today, you see the condition of the Lord's work. He just like falls down on the ground. He just sits down and he weeps and he mourns for days, for days. You know, the second chapter starts out in the month of Nisan. That corresponds to our April it, we saw it was Chislev in 1-1, in December, January, February, March, April. Five months! He's crying, he's weeping, he's mourning. The condition of the Lord's city is broken down, burned with fire. Do you ever look at the Lord's work? In the United States of America, just maybe in California, I'm from the, west, the left coast, the west coast. I'm from Portland, and the assembly's there. It's just, oh, it's distressing. At the same time, there are some exciting things that are starting to happen. I've seen a lot of exciting, there are some exciting things. We're going to Portland right after this. And there are some exciting things that are starting to happen in my assembly. I wasn't going to say this, but there's a, we had lunch with the Stratmans in, in the, the lodge. I don't know, Awiwa Lodge or something like that. Um, and there was a, uh, one of the waitresses, maybe you guys have eaten there, there's a waitress there, her name is Lucy. And so I, I asked Lucy, I was like, Lucy, you ever read Chronicles of Narnia? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, do you remember when Mr. Beaver tells Lucy, Aslan is on the move? And she's like, yeah. And then she's like, uh, I gotta go serve other tables. <laughs> she got away. But uh, Aslan is on the move. I love that. I really, I think Aslan is on the move. 
But I think it's got to start with, we need to be distressed a little bit. You, you see Nehemiah, he's just completely distressed. He's completely broken. He hears about this and boom, he just falls on the ground, mourning and weeping and fasting for days and starts confessing his own sins and the sins of the people. We just need an old-fashioned broken prayer meeting. I mean like in brokenness of heart and soul over the condition of the Lord's work here in the United States of America. Oh, the, the, really, the first work, I think I said it the other day, William Carey, famous missionary to India, but before he was a shoe cobbler, he just fixed shoes, and somebody asked him what he did for work, and he said, well, 12 hours a day I fix shoes, but my real job is prayer. <laughs> and you see this man here, Nehemiah, praying, praying. And, and like I said, the rest of this chapter right here, he, he, he's praying, and it's really a great... Um, example, and you see, you see Hannah prays the same way, Daniel prays the same way, um, all these different prayers that you can look, and it starts out with like worship, adoration of the Lord, then he confesses his own sins, the sins of the people, and then he gets to verse 9, and he's just like, he says, um, or no, verse 8, he, he just prays, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcast in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there I will gather them up and bring them to this place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. And so Nehemiah's in this prayer, he's like praying and confessing his sins, but then he gets to this point where he's like, Lord, remember, you promised... If we returned to you, you promised, yeah, if we abandoned you, you would scatter us across the planet. Yeah, you'd scatter us everywhere. But then you said, if we returned to you, remember, then you promised you would bring us back. And it's like reminding God of his own promises. Maybe we should start to pray like that. Yeah, it's got to start with just worshiping our great God. And then we, then we confess, our, we, have to, we need to confess our sins. And where's the brokenness over our sin? What is happening? Like we, we just don't even care that we're addicted to pornography. Nobody even cares. No big deal. Let me, I wasn't going to say this. I always say things I don't prepare to say. Um, uh, and maybe some of you have heard me say this. If you, if you listen to me long enough, you'll just be like, Mike, you just say the same stuff over and over. Um, but I don't care. Um, one time I was preaching in Peru and there was just a whole bunch of people gathered around and the Lord really seemed to be working. Sometimes it just seems like nothing happens. And other times the Lord's really working. But I, I was preaching and um, afterwards all these people wanted to talk to me. And this guy, he's like at the very end, kind of lingering. He didn't want anybody around really when he talked to me. Finally, I get to talk to this guy and, and he's like, hermano Miqueas. I've got this problem and I, I just, I really, I was walking through the plaza and I heard you preach and I thought maybe this gringo can help me with my problem. And, uh, and I was like, man, what's your problem? He's, well, I have tried, I've talked to different pastors and counselors and I cannot, fix, nobody can help me with this problem. I just like keep on going in this problem. And I was like, well, what's your problem? And he's like, well, I'm married to Gloria, but I'm committing adultery with Sylvia. Like, what can I do? I just can't, I, I'm a Christian. But I can't, I cannot break the strongholds of this sin in my life. I was like, oh, this is easy. 
this is really easy. I don't know why nobody's been able to solve this problem. I can solve this problem easy. And he's like, he's like kind of surprised, like, oh, no, like, well, what's the solution here? And so I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to pray for you right now that the next time you go with Sylvia, that God strikes you dead. And so I put, I put my arm around him and I just start praying, oh, Lord, I just pray for this brother. I pray the next time with Sylvia, he just, that you'd kill him. And right, right then he shoves me away. He's like, no, 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 don't pray that. And I was like, what, just a minute, I thought you were serious about beating this thing. And he goes, yeah, but not that serious. And that's our problem. We're just not that serious about really breaking these strongholds of sin so that the Lord can use us. John Wesley said something like, give me 100 men who fear nothing in this world except sin in their own lives and want no one but God and God alone. With then, I'll set up the kingdom of God upon the earth. And yeah, you could kind of disagree with this theology or whatever, but uh, I just love that first part about just, just a few good men that fear nothing in this world except for sin in their own lives. Fear that. That will render you useless. And maybe there are many here that you're, you're, right now you're just rendered kind of useless because you're just, you, the chains, the devil's come back after you. He's taken you, you've been taken out of Egypt, but now Pharaoh's back after you and he put the chains back on. And now you just, you can't do anything. Oh, that the chains would just fall off and we'd be set free and begin to be able to put hands to the work. Hands to the work. Hands to the work. But it's got to start with some distress over our sin. And you look at the condition of the world and the church and the sad state of, of sinners and you look at the issues of the day and then we just fall on, fall on our knees and we pray and we confess our sins and then we start to remind God of His promises in His own Word about what He'll do if we turn back to Him once again. Oh, what would God do? What would God do here in 2022 and going into 2023 in the coming years just before the rapture? Urgency in these last days. 60 minutes to go. What might the Lord do if we come in brokenness and humility to Him and we start confessing our sins and then grabbing a hold of the promises in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, reminding God of His own promises what might he do? Now, look at this. Um, verse 11. O Lord, as he's praying, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So who's this servant that he's praying for? Grant your servant success in the sight of this man. Who's, who's this servant that he's praying for? Himself. He's Lord, grant, grant me success in the sight of this. Who's this man? It's the king. And we see in the next chapter 2, verse 1, it's Artaxerxes, the most powerful man on the planet at the time, it seems. But uh, so, so it's kind of like as Nehemiah is praying, He's praying, Lord, look at the condition of your city. Look at the condition of, of your work. And, and he's praying. It's kind of like he starts out, Lord, why don't you do something? 
Why don't you just send somebody? Why don't you send an army to go and do something? And as the, the chapter progresses and the prayer goes on and we get into chapter 2, it's kind of like the prayer, you, you pray enough about these things and it's kind of like, Lord, maybe you could send me. And I think I just heard Caleb say that and I think that's what happened in his life. Just praying about the eight cities that Freedom Team's been praying about and praying about Phoenix and pretty soon you're praying about this enough. Is Lord, why don't you send somebody? Lord, look, there's, there's something that's starting to happen. But Lord, pray. The Man, we need a lot more workers. We need, we need an army. Lord, send people to California, the darkest place on the planet. Send people. Send, send workers. And you start, Lord, maybe you could send me. Hands to the work! Hands to the work! Hands to the work! He's starting to feel called. So there in verse 11, I would say that's where you start to see he starts to feel called right there because he's saying, give, give success to your servant today. And, and then you look in chapter 2, verse 5, skipping down. I know we didn't read before that, but, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that, that I may rebuild it. And then you see it again in chapter 2, verse 12, that same chapter, verse 12. Now he's in Jerusalem, and it says, Then I rose in the night, and a few men with me, and I, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So there in chapter 2, Nehemiah has gone. And uh, he's kind of inspecting the ruins and he goes at night and he's going in between the rubble and he sees, man, everything is just burned with fire. Everything's broken down. It's worse than they had told me. He's inspecting everything. And, you know, I guess I never really thought about it this way. I I'm not really inspecting the work. Who am I to inspect the work? I, I, I have, we have this unique opportunity, Amy and I and our family, and we, we travel around a lot, and at least for this season in our life, and I, I get to preach in different places, and, and, uh, and you kind of see the condition of assemblies in North America, and, and not just assemblies, but evangelical church, churches, uh, and you see, man, it's even worse than people have described it. And Lord, why don't you send somebody? And then you start to feel, oh, well, Lord, send me. And, and here he's, he, he says there, once again in verse 12, and he told no one what God had put into his heart. And maybe you're kind of at that stage and some of you are feeling like that. The Lord is putting something in your heart to do something about the brokenness of the work or the brokenness in this world. And, and he's put something into your heart and you have certain gifts and abilities that I don't have. He, and, and someone else, you have certain gifts and abilities that he doesn't have. Everyone is different. We're all part of Christ's body. But the Lord is starting maybe this week to put something into your heart. And you haven't told anyone about it yet. But there comes a point where you can't just sit there. You know, you're just thinking about it and thinking about it. The Lord's put it into your heart. But don't just let it, you know, stay right there. You need to act and really get to the point. Hands to the work. Hands to the work. Hands to the work. So he starts to feel, first he's distressed. Then he prays about it for five months. Then he's called. 
Why doesn't God do something? And then he starts to feel, feel called himself. Um, should I say this? Um, we, so we were in Peru for about 18 years or so. And uh, we, we came back about five years ago. We were going to take David and Cohen and, and set them up at, at Emmaus to go their first year there. And then we said, you can go anywhere to school after that. I just wanted them to start there. And uh, they ended up doing all of Emmaus and graduated from there. But uh, so we came kind of to drop them off. And then I was going to speak at a couple of youth conferences and missions conferences. And then we're going to go back to Peru. And uh, I... A couple weeks after we had arrived in the States, I was preaching in New Jersey at an assembly and I got done preaching. I sat down in the back and someone came up to me and they said, Brother Micah, I don't know you and you don't know me, but I really feel like the Lord's telling me to tell you, why don't you consider staying in the States for a few years and encourage the Lord's people in the areas of evangelism, discipleship, church planting and missions? And I kind of, I didn't say it to him, but I thought in my head, you're crazy. The Lord did not tell you to tell me that. I'm going back to Peru. Come on, Lord didn't tell you to tell me that. We're brethren. And um, I'm sorry, that was a joke. Um, Then uh, that was Sunday morning. Sunday night, I got done preaching in a different assembly. uh, And I sat down in the back and a guy came up to me. He says, Brother Mike, I don't know you and you don't know me. But I really feel like the Lord's telling me to tell you. Why don't you consider staying in the States for a few years and encourage the Lord's people in the areas of evangelism, discipleship, church planting, and mission. And I was like, Somebody, somebody told me that this morning. Do, do you know so-and-so? I, I, anyway, I just kind of shrugged it off. Yeah, coincidence. On Wednesday, I'm preaching at a, at a prayer meeting in Connecticut. And uh, I get done preaching, and a guy comes up to me, and he, he says the exact same thing, like verbatim. So long story, on the next Sunday, I'm preaching again, and, and this time, like I pray after the third time, I'm like, okay, Lord, if you're sending these angels or prophets or whoever these people are, could you do it one more time? You know, Gideon, like some of you thought I was going to keep going with Gideon and he does the fleece thing. I call that fleecing God. And I don't really think he, he sh- should have done that. I think it, but I did it. I did it. I was just like, Lord, can you just do it one more time? And on Sunday morning, I'm preaching. And I sit down in the back, and this guy comes up to me. Brother Mike, I don't know you, and you don't know me. Exactly, like verbatim. And I, don't even, I didn't even look at the guy. I just like looked at the ground, and I just, I, I just I started to, to tear up and cry. It was just between me and the Lord. It was, it was not between me and that guy. I don't know that. Maybe you're here. I don't know. Maybe it was you. But this guy came up, and he said that, and I just... And, and you know, I, I spent the first two and a half years here in the States, like, really depressed, I just feel like my heart was ripped out of my chest and and I just want to be in Peru. But then as the Lord opens up doors to do those things, evangelism, discipleship, church planting and missions, and you see that Aslan is on the move and you see the Lord starting to do something, something special and oh, I want to be a part of it. Whatever he does, I want to be a part of it. And so how can I be a part? Use your own gifts, abilities and just... Hands to the work! Hands to the work! Hands to the work! And then lastly, you see right here, uh, I should have read chapter 2. Let let me do 2, 6, 6 to 8. Look at this. 
And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for, to the governors of the provinces beyond the, uh, beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that, I may get, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and the fortress and the temple and for the city of the wall and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. I love that. Nothing better than the good hand of our great God upon you. I'm calling this point right here commissioned. He commissioned. The Lord sends him. And get this. A total pagan king gives him letters of permission or authorization to do this. The pagan king gives him all this material. Here you can have all this material, just loads up, wagon loads of it, and permission to cut down any of the trees in Yosemite to build this thing. And Asaph is going to be like, no, nah. oh, he sees, oh, Artaxerxes signed sign this thing. And he's also, he's got this little army of, of, of guys that go with him to defend him. This is amazing. Our God provides. Hudson Taylor said this. Many of you are familiar with that quote, but quote, famous missionary to China. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Oh, and, and Scott has already shared a couple of stories about that. In his own life and in freedom and God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. So we need to make sure we're doing God's work in God's way. S stay in the book. Stay in the book. That's a different message. But doing God's work in God's way. And you know what? That work in God's way will never lack God's supply. Yeah, it takes millions and millions of dollars to build a new chapel in California. How in the world are we going to plant assemblies, new ones, or new churches in California? All the money that it's going to take. But I love this. God's work done in God's way. And God even moves this, this pagan king to, to support the work completely. Just backs Nehemiah. And it's unbelievable. And when the people see this... The people see God's good hand. Skip down to uh, verse 18. And I told them, the, the, the Jews that are there, he finally tells them what his plan is. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. You know what that says in Spanish? In Spanish it says, manos a la obra. Hands to the work. Hands to the work. Hands to the work. Oh, if God has commissioned you and He sent you, you can go forward all, with all boldness and courage and put hands to the work. Now, one thing I want to, want to say right here, um, I am not saying that all of you need to be full-time workers. And I've had some people come up to me and talk to me and they're like, man, I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like some of these messages, I... 
maybe I should be like leaving my job and, and, and just leaving everything and going to the mission field. And man, if the Lord is telling you to do that, do that. But all, at the same time, like you need, it needs to be the Lord that calls you to do that and, and not Micah Tuttle or, or Scott DeGroff or, or, or whoever it might be. It's got to be the Lord that calls you to do that. And praise the Lord, we need more full-time workers here in the United States and everywhere. Oh, that the Lord would raise up an army of them. But at the same time, the normal Christian life is you work to God's glory in your secular job. John Wesley said, make all the money you can, save all the money you can, give all the money you can. And that last part is the part we have problems with. But, but you go and you work to the glory of God and you use your gifts and abilities right where you are to, to strengthen the Lord's people, to promote the gospel, to make disciples, missions, church planting, make Christ's name great, whatever your job is, whatever, you, whatever your gifting is. You're not me, I'm not you, and I'm not, I do not want anybody to get the idea that we want, I want everybody, you know, you, you should all feel guilty if you make money and you need to like stop right now and just like go, go to Africa or something, or Zambia. Go to, you go to Zambia. <laughs> Well, I, I'm sorry, maybe, maybe the Lord wants you to come back here. Much need here. But uh, the Lord is calling Nehemiah here to do this work. And, and the, the Lord's work. And, every, and you think of, the, once again, the past generation, all the work that was done in the past, in a lot of places, it's just got to this point where it's broken down, almost like burned with fire. Oh, we need an army that goes forward putting hands to the work. Hands to the work. I, I feel like I'm going long. I have no idea what time it is. I got one more thing to say. What time is it? Oh, okay, I'll just, I'll keep working. I'll keep working here. One thing. So, so look at, um, well, it's, it's verse, chapter 2, in verse 10 you see it, and later in, in verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and the, and the, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, the Ammonite servant, heard this. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of God. Then in 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So, Opposition. As soon as we begin to put hands to the work, we're going to see some opposition. And, and, and many, you've already experienced opposition. Maybe this week, I think, I think I've heard some stories already. There has been some spiritual battle as we put hands to the work. Uh, in our conventions, I told you the other day about conventions in the jungle and all the villages. They get to one village and it's this great big convention. Well, there is, there's always some spiritual battle going on. There are witch doctors in all of our villages. And one time at one of the conventions in the village Santa Marta, it's like the worst village. It's just squalor everywhere. I, I, I love it though. But uh, I was in this village, it was a convention, there's like 400 brothers and sisters that had come. And like right from the beginning, I got there and I just... Maybe it was the monkey brains or the, the, the yucca spit juice that the, the old lady spit into this cup and, you, and, and then you drink it and it's, it's, uh, it's great, but uh, you can get sick by it. Um, so I was, I was just really sick. And uh, the brothers had found out that the witch doctor, someone had paid him to do 
a, a hex, is that the word? A maldición? A curse. A curse on me. And, uh, and so everybody got together and prayed for me. And it was like immediately, it was gone. Like I was throwing up and I was, I was just, uh, other things were happening. <laughs> I, I, I just, I felt terrible and I, I couldn't get up. And, but they prayed for me. And it was like, the Lord took it all away. It felt like a hundred bucks. A hundred bucks isn't very much. A million bucks. <laughs> I felt great. And just like back putting hands to the work. I was able to put hands to the work once again. And in the midst of spiritual battle and opposition, that will come. But oh, our great God, He protects His people in the midst of spiritual battle. Maybe tomorrow I'll speak on spiritual battle. I don't know. We'll see. But expect opposition. You see in the rest of this book, it's interesting, you read about, you, you see there's criticism, there's discouragement from without, there's discouragement from within. There are fears that Nehemiah deals with. There's greed from the Jews from within. There's also, there's dis distractions, these letters coming in, and, and Geshem, the Arab, and Tobiah, they, they want Nehemiah to come and meet with them and just distract him from the work. There's slander that's going on. There's all of these things that try to draw you away from the work. But Nehemiah, he refuses to give in to any of these things. And I love it. You see later on, where is it? Um, there it is. In, in chapter 6, verse 15. In 52 days, they finished the work. They built the whole wall in 52 days. I mean, we can't even put a, an evangelism committee together in our churches in 52 days. This is incredible. 52 days. They built this huge wall that they actually, it's so thick, they can march around the whole thing, this parade when they're done. Unbelievable what you can do when you work together, everyone putting hands to the work with their different gifts and abilities. Everyone coming to this point of brokenness, confessing their sins, prayer, being really called by the Lord to do this work, and even in the midst of opposition, putting hands to the work. Oh, so brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, I just say the same thing over and over again, but it's so that you remember it. Hands to the work! Hands to the work! Hands to the work! Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2 and all the chapters. Oh man, so many other things to say, but we'd be here all day. Lord, I pray that you would do something in our day. Aslan is on the move. Many of us can see it, can feel it. Right at the edge, right on the edge of revival. But Lord, I think maybe there's one step or two that is left. Your people need to get on, down on their knees in distress as we see the condition of your work. Maybe we just need to confess a lot of sin. Maybe, Lord, we, we need You to put Your good hand upon us and send us out. Lord, I pray that You would put a burning passion and desire in our hearts to make Your name great and to put our hands to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, <laughs> keep praying and I pray it again. Please stamp eternity on our eyeballs. In Jesus' name, amen.